Welcome to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law and Virginia Appellate Attorney Steve Emmert. Listening to oral arguments from the Supreme Court of Virginia is one of the best ways to stay abreast of both substantive and procedural law. And today's smart lawyers know that any case, even if it is outside their practice area, can offer a learning opportunity. So, listen, enjoy, subscribe, and leave us feedback. I'd like to reserve five minutes of my time if I may. All right. I'll remind you. Thank you. Um, I'm James Martin, uh, representing uh, Ricky Dean Tate. Uh, Your Honors, may it please the Court. Uh, Mr. Tate uh, committed a string of burglaries in Pennsylvania County, a few of them in Franklin County that are not an issue in this case. Most of them are not an issue here. Uh, So... He's got 10 years from uh, Pennsylvania County, mostly guilty pleas, but we wanted to bring up these three points on behalf of Mr. Tate uh, that are contained in in the assignments of error, which we submit uh, our error respectfully in the case. Uh, These cases were very carefully tried. They were separated out for separate trial dates by a young man, a prosecutor named Chad Atchison, who unfortunately was tragically killed in a skateboarding accident shortly after this case. But uh, his argument, I mean, he, he preserved uh, the arguments that the Commonwealth, I expect, will be making in this case, but we just respectfully uh, submit that the, uh, the court and the Commonwealth erred in these specific points. So the first one uh, has to do with a very unusual situation that came out during the trial, uh, the fact that this one house that was burgled was owned by three married couples together and or an LLC that was created with some but not all of the spouses as officers or directors, and we don't have any documents, we don't have any articles of incorporation about, you know, uh, who was who on this. Um, we did have a couple of husbands uh, testify, and, and, and this came that out. Reminds me of my time as an assistant prosecutor when we were always concerned with, are we going to have a substitute judge? Are we going to have someone that messes up our burglary case because we have one spouse called as the victim and said he didn't have permission, burglary or larceny, and well, maybe there's one of these defense attorneys up there saying we should have had the wife up there, And, you know, maybe she let him in. Maybe they're having an affair. A lot of speculation goes on, you know, unwarranted or warranted in the trial courts, as your honors know. But the Commonwealth has to prove their case. And I have researched this thing on and off for like 32 years about what exactly does constitute a prima facie case of a victim up there saying that he didn't have permission. And I, your honors, I just don't know what the law is. And so... Uh, you know, that's one reason we're asking you uh, to clarify that and, uh, and uh, whatever you do, because all this time is suspended on those charges, so we're not going to get Ricky Tate, you know, the, the movement, you know, free Ricky Tate by 2028 is, is not going to be affected by this. It might get a felony charge less or two on that, those particular charges, which I'm referring to as the mortgage 
Sheets, Wilner, statutory burglary, and grand larceny, which uh, is argument uh, one. It's further complicated by the LLC business. And, you know, what happens when something is an LLC? I mean, sure, they could have, I think they could have articles of incorporation that could say, Mr. Morch can speak for all of these people. Uh, I think that would be valid, but we, we don't have that. We never had that. The trial court never had that. It just came out uh, during the uh, during the uh, the trial, and, and and therefore we submit that uh, there's insufficient uh, evidence. Uh, there was also, uh, uh, you know, the the gentleman that did testify. One of them was the, about the values was was pretty much addicted to. Uh, uh, replacement value, which is not uh, what the law is. Uh, maybe I should have done a separate assignment of error for that, I think, you know. But, I mean, to me, it's all part of the sufficiency of the evidence that we don't have sufficient evidence to convict on these cases because we don't know who the victim is, and we don't know what the amount is. You know, it might be, it might be, uh, it might be petty uh, larceny. So, so in any case, that's one thing that we're, we're asking the court that, I mean, I suppose you could have a, I don't have any case that says this, maybe, maybe there's a prima facie case when one spouse testifies and maybe it's the common law doctrine of unity of person, I, I don't know. I mean, it just seemed to vary, in my experience, with the local judge as to, you know, what kind of prima facie case you have to make when you have a victim up there in a burglary or a larceny say Counsel, can I interrupt you a second? I hate to keep interrupt you, but you don't have a whole lot of time. Can I get you to talk about your second assignment of error, uh, single uh, larceny theory? Uh, yes, what I'm, I'm interested I'm, in is, is particularly what facts you think make this a single larceny as opposed to two larcenies? Well, I think it's, it's very much intertwined, this golf cart, uh, well, Justice Millett, may I ask a question sure. that may tag on to yours? It, it seemed that the um, item that is the subject of a single larceny changed from a motorcycle at trial court to a golf court at the Court of Appeals. Am I correct? And as you're answering Justice Millett's question, if you would help me with that fact. I'm still struggling with that because the indictment didn't say what it was, and I don't think that the judge really – well, we did not – make an issue of it, but I don't think it was ever crystal clear which it was. But both of them were abandoned, the motorcycle and the golf cart. Uh, okay, uh, you can answer his question. So I, I, don't, I think mine may have That's a, a very good <laughs> question. But, uh, but uh, I, I mean, I'm proceeding, you know, I think the preponderance of evidence, at least, is, is that, the, you know, that it was the golf cart that, that the court intended to convict on here. But if it was the motorcycle, I think they're both intertwined. This Sagastum case, which is, and, and the Moody case that the prosecutor brought out and is discussed, uh, you know, around 506, 507 of the, uh, well, that's the co-counsel's argument, but, uh, you know that I think those cases are are, are distinguishable. Uh, I think. Uh, well, that's what I want you to do. Right. I think the no co-defendant <laughs> counsel. Uh, you know. Uh, you know uh, the vehicle uh, was outside on this uh, situation of the uh, Sagastum case, 
And the, um, that case uh, was, uh, in, in our case, the, uh, the, 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 the golf cart was used to, to load uh, elements in, you know, stolen uh, items in uh, from the, uh, the larceny. Uh, but uh, in the uh, Sagastoom case, uh, you know, there was a, my recollection of it is that there was a larceny of the, uh, of the a motor vehicle. And the local courts seem to be putting a lot on these motor vehicles when they have like a motor vehicle case uh, that, uh, you know, that somehow they think that it's, that it's separable uh, because it's a motor vehicle. Well, Virginia separates out firearm charges, but they don't really separate out uh, motor vehicle charges. Neither does uh, the English uh, system, which you know uh, some of the cases coming out of AC have uh, have pointed out that uh, the uh, you know the, the bottom line is um, there's it's it's all in one location more or less. I mean, one right. is inside versus outside, but it's in the same house. Right. Same, right. Right. And then there, it's not like he came back the next day or two hours later and then stole something else to round things out. Right. And so there's a connection in time. Exactly. And that's one of the factors in the AC case uh, that's cited by everybody. This court really has not had cases on this, uh, you know, uh, recently on this issue. It's all been the Court of Appeals. Could, could the fact finder have... Uh, hypothesized distinct impulses uh, for stealing the golf cart or the motorcycle as opposed to other items taken from the home? I suppose it's theoretically that they could have hypothesized that. Uh, I submit that that would be an incorrect hypothesis and, and it would still constitute error. Uh, but if they could hypothesize it and there is a factual basis that makes it within the bell-shaped curve of rationality, it is a fact question. It's not a legal question. Uh, yes. Uh, well, uh, Justice Kelsey, you wrote the Denos versus Commonwealth opinion in 63 Virginia Appellate 139. And, uh, you know, I think it was made very clear that this is uh, unique facts in this case. I think that's a direct quote from, from the case. Uh, there were two checks made. It was like it was a construction fraud. There were two checks that were written. Counsel, you're into your rebuttal time for whatever that's worth. Uh, yeah, I, I think, well, I'll just, I'll just keep going, but thank you. Uh, so, uh, but, um, you know, as far as the, uh, the Sagastoon case, there was a Volvo that was stolen after the victim escaped being tied up from a larceny of these other items. And so I think... But you know, can I interrupt again? The, but as you have pointed out and as you have well articulated, these cases are utterly fact-specific. And really all we're talking about is this efficiency analysis. There's no, like, grand doctrine in the sky called single larceny. We're just talking about factual sufficiency. So could a reasonable fact-finder conclude from this evidence that there was more than a single impulse? That's all anything more than a single impulse? Or would, it, would we be right in saying, look, you're just irrational to say that? 
I would just respectfully submit that that would be uh, irrational. As, as Your Honor pointed out in the Denos case, this comes under the English common law. It's no grand thing. There's no purple thing that turns purple that you can tell whether this is the case or not. Uh, it varies. Uh, the Moore versus Commonwealth 59 Virginia Appellate 795 said a series of single impulses, you know, is the terminology that was used there. I submit this was the same impulse. I mean, they, they needed the golf cart to try to transport some of the items, and it, it, it fell through. They couldn't get it to move. They couldn't get the motorcycle to move either. It's the same criminal enterprise, but if the same criminal enterprise becomes the, the unspoken uh, label for this, then we've completely done away with the concept that it's really the, the mens rea, the motivation. Was there a single impulse or, or get this stuff run out? Oh, wait a minute. Let me go get a, a golf cart or whatever and get rid of this. Oh, wait a minute. Let me grab a car and hijack that. If, if we expand these concepts out too far, we really do away with the common law concept of single impulse. Well, that could happen, uh, Your Honor. I think what's happening, as I say, though, on the local level is that they, they see automobile, and maybe in California or New York, that's a special kind of larceny. I don't know. It seems like some of the TV shows mention of grand larceny auto. We see that in indictments, grand larceny auto, as if it's some kind of a different thing. Well, it isn't, and it isn't even in England under the English Larceny Act of 1968, which is amended in 1992 to have special things about cars, basically joyriding, which we would call unauthorized use. They call twalking, T-W-O-C-I-N-G, taking without owner's consent. That is actually a, an English word, twalking. But they didn't separate out the larceny. Even in England, which all this is based from, and under 1-200, it's our law, as, 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 as the court pointed out in Denos, uh, you know, I think what's happening as a practical matter is these triers of fact are seeing auto and they're saying, well, you do different things with autos than you do with, you know, selling stuff from the house. Uh, well, so that's not a bad point, is it? I mean, you can steal all you want to, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be hopping in someone's golf cart and, and driving it away. That, that's, that could be, Your Honor, but we would just submit that, that this was a not only a single... Uh, a, a, a single enterprise, but also a single impulse. Uh, I'd be glad to try to answer any other questions. I really don't have much to say. Even if I've had time about the Blue Moon case, it's all sufficiency. Makes me thirsty to talk about it, and so it's all just co-defendant testifying against uh, Mr. Uh, Tate, and so that's all I have uh, in any case, unless uh, the court has questions. Seems like my rebuttal has evaporated, uh, basically, but I uh, thank your honors for your consideration of these points. You're welcome. You have 41 seconds. <laughs> Would you hire an appellate lawyer to handle your jury trial? Of course not. Trying cases requires a different focus, a different way of speaking, even a different way of thinking from handling appeals. So why would you ask a trial lawyer to handle your appeal. When it comes time to appear in an appellate court, trust a lawyer who specializes in appeals only. Steve Emmert limits his practice to appeals. Other lawyers consult him when they face tough problems in the appellate maze. Focus on what you do best. Call Steve Emmert at 757-965-5021 direct to find out how he can help you. Again, that's Steve Emmert at 
5021. Good morning. May it please the court, Kelsey Bolger on behalf of the Commonwealth. Um, I will pick up where my opposing counsel left off on the second assignment of error with the single larceny doctrine, and I think the court has already um, come to the point which I was going to make, which is whether any reasonable fact finder could find that this was, uh, this, these were two separate impulses. What are the facts? That, what do you think are the facts? The only thing I saw in the Court of Appeals was that this defendant was excited about the golf cart or motorcycle. Again, it wasn't clear. What other is that? Is that show it's a separate impulse that you're excited about something? So I think that is a relevant fact. There is a little bit of overlap between the motorcycle and the golf cart. The trial court seems to focus more on the motorcycle, whereas the Court of Appeals talks about the golf cart. I think the excitement was surrounding the motorcycle. Um, so I'll talk about the motorcycle just for a second. Does that make it a different larceny? I mean, just because you come in there to steal a lot of things and you see something that maybe is better than what you thought you were going to get, does that make it a separate impulse? Well, I think that's a factual determination for the court, which is what, what was the intent of this defendant um, when he's taking those items. And the defendant breaks into this home, takes a bunch of items from inside the house, and then goes into the garage. Obviously did not know that the motorcycle was in there because he's excited. So that's why I think that fact is relevant because that was not part of the impulse of taking the items inside the home. Well, did he know it was inside the house before he got in there? I'm not sure that he did, but he certainly picked this home to break into to take items from. Well, it sounded like he picked any home that they could get into, because they, didn't they hit several homes in, in the Smith Mountain Lake area? I think he was familiar with these homes. He had done lawn work at one of the homes, and they were all neighbors down this long driveway, is my understanding of the, the map that I'm seeing. So you think if he went in looking for TVs and other appliances or whatever else he got, and then went in the garage looking for more things, and he happened to see a motorcycle that he didn't expect to see there, that would be a separate impulse. I think in this case it is because we have specific testimony saying he got excited and he wanted to take this motorcycle. Well, isn't that a lot different than, I guess, Moody case, which is an unpublished court of appeals case, where they said there was actually testimony that this was beyond what we ever anticipated we were going to do. This was a, a completely different plan than what we had going in. Well, Being excited is not the same thing, is it? I don't think it is exactly the same thing, but I, I, I don't think the, the facts necessarily have to be the same. It's just whether this, whether any reasonable fact finder could have found that this was a separate impulse. And this is a fact that the fact finder based that finding on. Did, did she say that? I believe it was mentioned in the findings that this was, he was excited when he saw it. Um, I also think that we have the evidence of the golf cart and how they used the golf cart. Can, can you help me with the, have you finished answering? Yep. Finish mm -hmm. Can you help me with which item, and perhaps it doesn't matter, but in my mind it does matter. Along the same lines that Justice uh, Millette was asking, my excitement about a bigger TV than the little TV that I thought I was going to get, hypothetical, of course we're talking about a motorcycle, doesn't necessarily speak to separate larceny, but my need to have a vehicle in which I can then carry my loot away, the golf cart, might get me closer. And I'm still unsure which item we're talking about, and maybe you're going to tell me it doesn't matter, but help me with that and how it morphed from one to the other. I think the court, this court could affirm on either the motorcycle or the golf cart. I think the golf cart is the Commonwealth's stronger argument because of the way it was used. Um, the Court of Appeals obviously went for the golf cart. And could only they do that if the trial court decided it on the motorcycle? How does that work? 
Well, the appellant did not assign error to that holding, so I would say that's not an issue before the court, and I think by not assigning error, that's still a valid holding that this court now has to consider. So the golf cart, I think, was used to transport these other items that were stolen. The golf cart actually pulled the motorcycle on a trailer, and there was testimony that they used this golf cart to load it up with items. Am I right that not only is there no assignment of error, but the appellant's brief did not attack the Court of Appeals in argument for focusing on the golf cart? That's correct. The appellant's brief actually does not mention either the motorcycle or the golf cart. It sort of says very generally it should have been one larceny from this home. So the only issue before us, well, there's no issue before us on whether the golf cart was the focus of the single larceny doctrine or whether it should have been instead the motorcycle. Right. I think that's true because the Court of Appeals focused on the golf cart. And I would say that those facts are nearly identical to the facts in Sagastumi, where the individual used, I believe it was a Volvo in that case, to basically load up the items that he had stolen from the home and use that as a getaway car because they were driving this golf cart away, too, until it died. So I would move to the first assignment of error regarding the permission to enter the home. And I would just point out that the trial court looked at the totality of the circumstances. It's not just a matter of the owners of the home testifying, no, I did not give someone permission. The trial court can look at the method of entry, the conduct of the defendant when they entered the home, which is taking items that they did not have permission to take. There was no objection or motion made regarding evidence of the other break-in that had occurred next door. So I think that is also a relevant fact for the trial court when it's considering whether this defendant had permission to enter the home. That's not a particularly close issue. I'm sorry? That is not a particularly close issue. It's lopsided for the Commonwealth that he did not have permission to enter. I think that's true, yes. I mean, if you're putting a brick through a window and then, I mean, who gives permission to enter that way and take TVs and jewelry or whatever? I mean, so permission is a legitimate defense if it's the gardener who routinely goes in and takes tools and then he took the tools home to use them for his own account or something like that. Okay, fine. But, I mean, this is just not even close. I agree with that, obviously. I think in this case it's more of a common sense issue of this individual quite clearly did not have permission to break into the sliding glass door, set off the alarm, and take all of these items. And the LLC is sort of irrelevant here. Well, I appreciate your covering the waterfront. I don't know that that – I didn't detect a lot of concern up here about that particular issue. Well, then I'm happy to move on. I would point out the value, too. The Court of Appeals held that the appellant had actually waived this issue by not including it in his assignment of error, and the appellant did not assign error to that waiver finding by the Court of Appeals. So I would ask the Court to consider that argument waived. I know I am only halfway through my time, but there was not much argument on the third assignment of error. So unless the Court has any questions, I think that would conclude my argument. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You have 41 seconds. 
I would just submit that what I said about the two larcenies, I did not repeat, you know, the word golf cart in the assumption of error. You know, we're not 100% sure that it wasn't the, uh, the, you know, the motorcycle. But, I mean, you got two larcenies the same day, the same house. I mean, I think that raises the issue with the single larceny doctrine. So, in case, unless your honors have any other questions, I thank you again for your time. Thank you very thank much. You. <laughs> Please call the next. Thank you for tuning in to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. My name is Ben Glass. And Steve Emmert and I provide these oral argument audios for free as a public service. If you're a fan of the podcast, I'd love to send you my book, Renegade Lawyer Marketing, absolutely free. Just visit www.benglassreferrals.com and I'll be glad to ship it to you. This book has helped thousands of lawyers across the country improve their lives and their practices. Again, that's benglassreferrals.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy these oral arguments from the Supreme Court of Virginia.